Good morning. The North Central Chairman of the Board of Regents, uh, President Anderson and Diane, wanted to be here today, but Ron uh, Bontrager was not able to be here, but he did send a message that he wanted to have read today. On behalf of the Board of Regents, I want to express our deepest appreciation to Dr. Anderson for 35 years of service, the last 22 of those years he led as our president. Be assured the entire family of North Central University shares a deep love and respect for you and Diane. Nobody truly knows the full investment of time, love, and sacrifice that you both have given, but God won't forget. You have kept North Central focused on the mission of preparing spirit-empowered and professionally competent leaders, and you never forgot that chapel was at the heart of it all. Hebrews 6.10 says, God is fair. He won't forget what you've done or the love you've shown for him. You helped his holy people, and you continue to help them. Please promise to come and visit us. Visit us. I'm just going to emphasize that. In the future, you will always be welcomed and never forgotten. Sincerely, Ron Bontrager, Chairman of Board of Regents. At this time, we have several presentations that we like to make to you, President Anderson and Diane. So we're going to ask you to come to the stage. And can we, can we give a worthy welcome and greeting for them? may be seated. I think, I think that about sums up how people feel about you guys. You have impacted hundreds, no, thousands, thousands of people in this room and across this country. And this past year, the first gift we'd like to present to you um, at different events, uh, such as Partners for Progress, um, we had people write a note of appreciation and thanks and what you mean to them. And we put that in a book. We also, uh, in this book, when we posted um, on our different social media sites, we posted about retirement a year ago, and there were just hundreds of posts, and we have those in here as well, people telling how much, just how much you guys have meant to them. So we're going to start with that gift, present to you. Here you go. And at this time, I'd like to ask... Uh, Dr. Don Tucker to come and give a uh, presentation. He's our Vice President of Academic Affairs. We have two gifts from the faculty for 35 years of servant leadership from your grateful faculty. The first is our traditional historical globe that we give to retired faculty members. As long as this is suspended and turning, you will live forever. <laughs> And the key to retirement is a good book. So this is from all of us. Here's a book. <laughs> no, open it up. Open it up. Open it. Yeah, real quick. Okay. Awkward pause. <laughs> so this is a, what we call Dr. Andersonisms. This is all the quotes throughout all the years. I get the privilege of, um, one second. <laughs> I'll, I'll just take it out. 
All right, I get the privilege of presenting on behalf of the vice presidents, and we wanted to do two things. We wanted first to have something that would remind them of Minnesota, and then have something that deeply was made by one of our own, that when they look at it, it's made by our own, and um, when they look at it, they can really remember North Central. So the first one is a vase. Um, this is made in the um, Native American reservation at Milak, and you'll see at the top there's the northern lights, and then there's several things that we love about Minnesota, like the snow, <laughs> and um, bald eagles, and um, just a beautiful winter scene, so that's the first one. I'm gonna ask Adam, I'm gonna take the mic over to Adam, and I'm gonna ask him to describe what he's made and where some of the parts are from. So the vice president's asked me to make a uh, project. I've been getting into some blacksmithing lately, and they asked me to make a project, and I got the project all forged and made, and I was having trouble with the box. So I was talking to Jordan Robertson, and we thought that a cardboard box just wouldn't do. So this box was actually made with a uh, old piece of fence from around Chicago Hall. We saved the material and I made the box, so they wanted to make sure I let you know about the box. <laughs> <laughs> and then, this is the brand. Uh, there's some pictures. Gordon and Diane Anderson. <laughs> and it has a ram's head finio, since we are the rams. And animal heads are a traditional blacksmith thing to ornament tools and whatnot. <clears throat> then we have a smaller scale version of the brand that would be for steaks or whatever. Uh, <laughs> and this is a this is a stake turning tool that is from the Robron family. We've been hanging around for a while with you. So the final piece is actually the brand in use and it is a display holder for the, the brand. <laughs> Let's give Adam a hand for making this and for being such a blessing, thank you. If you'll bear with us, we're going to take a photo with you real quickly with our VPs and I don't know where our photographer Where's is. Our photographer? We have one final presentation to be given. This presentation represents a very special gift. It's not a gift to the Andersons, but it's a gift that represents something that we've all received from Dr. Anderson. Over the last 22 years as president of North Central University, Dr. Anderson has not only inspired us to be people of the presence, 
but he has been the exemplary model of what it means to be a person of the presence. To be Pentecostal is to be people of the presence of God. This has been Dr. Gordon Anderson's gift to all of us, and it shall be his legacy that will remain with us. It's one thing for a leader to have a vision, but what validates vision is legacy, what lasts long after the leader is gone. And so in preserving Dr. Anderson's vision that North Central University inspire every student, every faculty, every staff member, every administrator, every board member to be people of the presence, it's my honor to announce that this altar in the Linguist Sanctuary and the small chapel in the Trask Word and Worship Center shall be named in honor of Dr. Gordon Anderson. These two locations on our campus represent the place where God's presence meets people. It's in, re it's in recognition of Dr. Anderson's spiritual leadership that he provided us as president at North Central University from 1995 to 2017, during which time he continually inspired us to be people of the presence. I'd like you to join me as we give honor to whom honor is due, and we welcome to this pulpit our president, Dr. Gordon Anderson. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. You may be seated. Well, I knew nothing of what was happening in the chapel today. And uh, as a general rule, I do not do surprises well. <laughs> Everybody that works with me knows you. So it's, um, it uh, will take some time to adjust, I think, the, my mind and my heart and emotions to what is occurring. And to find a few words to express uh, the gratitude, deep gratitude, that uh, Diane and I feel for the opportunity to serve here. And the memories, wonderful memories, and these very unique gifts, and uh, just, just amazing. So thoughtful, so creative, so kind. And uh, this is a wonderful day for us, so we, we thank you from the, the, from the bottom of our heart. The whole issue of the altar and the chapel, I think for people who serve in a public role, as we do, the, we are all always keenly aware of the difference and the distance between the aspiration and what you've actually become. I think this is more a testimony to aspiration than accomplishment but that we can be the people of God, and we aspire toward that. In the middle of all of the difficulties of life, where our humanity crowds God out of portions of our lives, you know, when we feel hurt or wounded or angry or all of those things, and yet the aspiration and the truth, God dwells in us. God dwells in us, and we meet Him at the altar, and in our gathering together, and of course the chapel is the, the signature memory uh, for us here at North Central. It's not the only thing we do. We are an educational institution. So there are classrooms and we're relational with the residence halls and cafeterias, all of the other things. But the integrating center where faith and learning come together and where spirituality and service come together 
and where worship and prayer and preaching all come together. It's here. So this is the integrating center of it all, and it's very, very deep uh, in our hearts. So with feeble words, but uh, with deep sincerity, we say thank you very, very much for the privilege of serving, for giving us 35 years of great memories, and uh, we will come back, of course, from time to time and visit. We will be cheering from the sideline and celebrate every victory. We will pray for every difficulty, and um, we will, if we don't meet again here, now remember, we are not eternal security Calvinist Baptists. We are eternal insecurity <clears throat> Pentecostals. So I've been telling some of my friends, if I don't see you again in this life, keep your nose clean and live right so we can meet up in heaven, <clears throat> all right? So keep your nose clean, live right, and if we make it to the finish line, we'll spend eternity in heaven together. Amen? And we will make it to the finish line. <laughs> okay. Thank you so very, very much. Well, I am supposed to share a message, and um, Doug Graham uh, actually quoted a text that is uh, pretty well the signature text of our lives. Everything that can be shaken will be shaken. Those things that cannot be shaken will remain the contrast between the supernatural, the spiritual, and the material. Those things will pass away, but heaven and earth will never pass away. And I thought that I would preach that message. I have preached that single message more than any other message I've ever preached. And um, it's a very, very meaningful passage. It's uh, true, isn't it? But I'm not preaching that message this morning. Just make reference to it, and uh, thank you for quoting that. I had thought about preaching on the presence of the Lord. That is central, and, um, but I'm not going to preach on the presence of the Lord. <clears throat> I thought, how could we finish up with um, out, not being too nostalgic? The problem with being old is everything you're reminded of reminds you of something else, and then that, that <laughs> takes forever to get it delivered. But to, uh, uh, to look at just a very few things that... Um, I've called just a few, a sampler plate of life victories and life maxims. So we'll put up the first slide, which really is the one that I think says it all. Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Thanks be to God we have victory. The music this morning could not have been more perfect. First of all, my favorite style of music is that kind of bluesy, rhythmic, you know, and I just, it was wonderful. But there's power in the name of Jesus, and it makes me want to shout, hallelujah. That is just great, because there's victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. The um, message of the morning, I will abbreviate, but just give a few life lessons and tell a few stories. I think at the, <clears throat> the heart of it all, the reality that God saves, forgives, sanctifies, empowers, heals, and uses common, ordinary people. That's really at the heart of it all. Not many noble, not many mighty, not many wise after the flesh. God has chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise, and I, I identify so much with that reality. Common, ordinary, human, alas, all too human. And, um, but the great promise that we can have victory in life and in eternity through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. A few basic thoughts having to do with victory. First of all, we have to know the victories are victory over something. It's not the absence of those things. And not to start out or to continue very long with a terribly negative note, but we need to remember there is a warfare for every soul. There is a warfare for the cosmos. There's opposition to the will of God. We see it in Genesis 3.1. Somewhere before Genesis 3.1, something happened. When the Bible says, now the serpent and introduces 
the conflict, a conflict that has been recorded throughout history, is the reason Jesus came, is the reason he had to die, shed his blood, be buried, but then the victory of being raised from the dead. And the long-term victory is assured, but there are battles along the way. Does anybody know that is true? The battles are constant, they are continual, they are the backdrop for everything we do. God gave us the church to be a refuge place, a place to be healed, to be saved, to be sanctified, built up, encouraged, corrected during the battles of life. But that's the backdrop. I don't want it to be the centerpiece, but it's something we must always remember. And unfortunately, some lose the battle. We're very grateful that most win. Paul said, I've fought the good fight and I have finished, but we need to remember there was also Lucifer, Adam, Eve, Cain, Judas, Demas. People who appear in the Word of God as examples and a testimony to the fact that there is a battle, the battle is serious, the consequences are very, very serious. So when we sing victory in Jesus, we need to remember it's victory over some things, and there is a promise of victory, but we need to take the battle very, very seriously. Victory over a number of things that I've identified. One thing would be victory over our background and our baggage. We all have it. Some of us have more baggage than a 747 to deal with in life. Where we came from and the influence of those things, Diane and I both have background and baggage. Diane's father was a first-generation Christian, a good man, hard-working man, but prone to anger and violence, physically abusive, verbally abusive. Imperfect, her mother was a wonderful, sweet Christian woman, but frankly not as attentive and strong as a mother, and Diane found her refuge really not in her mother, but in her grandmother. And when her grandparents passed away, a deep hole was left in Diane's life. Those are issues of life that we all have them in one way or another. We must get victory over the background and baggage. Myself, my father, second generation Christian with an eighth grade education, hard worker, talked a lot, <clears throat> didn't actually say a lot. We, he never prayed with me. We never had devotions. He was a hard-working, wonderful man, very capable, could do anything, very, very patient. But he could be explosively violent. He believed in corporal punishment, and sometimes I thought he believed in capital punishment. <laughs> I could tell you stories. I had a hard time growing up, and uh, I tell people, I understand Lucifer. <clears throat> I understand him so well. I'm going to do it my way. And um, the attitude of a juvenile, I remember 16 years of age, standing in the kitchen of our home. And I don't know what the squabble was about, but I do remember what I said and what my dad did. Somewhere in my sarcastic juvenile argument with my dad, I said, your wife did something. In a split second, my dad, who was six feet, 250 pounds, muscle, had fists this big, without blinking or anything, hit me in the chest, knocked all the wind out of me, and knocked me between a cabinet and the refrigerator, a space about this wide. I'm about this wide. <laughs> he folded me up in that space, out of breath, and I'm down there stuck, grasping for air, thinking I am going to die, and he just stood there and looked at me, I think hoping it actually might happen. <clears throat> Finally drug me out of there and said, don't you ever say that again. I said, I won't, I haven't, I never did. I learned my lesson and glad I survived the lesson, but things like that. Um, my mother was an only child from a farm. And um, her dad was a first-generation Christian, a very hard man, but he was a Christian man. But before he was born again at something like 27 years of age, 
these were homesteader people. They were very, very tough people. This, this is very, very, you have no idea how symbolic and meaningful this branding stuff is. And uh, cattle and hardworking people. But he too was violent and would beat my mother with a harness tug, which is a strap of leather used to harness horses to a wagon. And um, my mother was an only child. Her mother was crippled in a wheelchair. And when mom left the farm, she never went back. And she and dad, in World War II, went off to the West Coast. Dad was uh, in the war four years. Mom never returned. A beautiful, beautiful farm. But you see, the beauty of the landscape uh, couldn't overcome the, the depth of the heartache and all that she had experienced there. My mother was a loving woman, but she, her idea of affection was a crisp handshake. Love you, Gordon. Love you, Mom. And that was it. I mean, it was not. Some of you may know <clears throat> that kind of a background. And so the whole issue of um, family relationships, and then God brought me and Diane together, which has to be an act of divine sovereignty. Sovereignty. There's hardly a lick of sense in the whole deal. I was 20, Diane was 18, I'd been kicked out of college, been kicked out of high school, I was in trouble, was on probation. One of our, one of our first <laughs> meetings, you remember this maybe, honey, in the park near East High School out there with your family, I had a motorcycle. And um, <clears throat> I was riding the bike around. Diamond was on the back. And I gunned it and headed down a path at a high speed, a 1967 Bonneville Triumph motorcycle. And those things, for any of the biker people, those things will jump. I did not see a chain that was connected to two posts. You remember this? Oh, I do. And I was accelerating and saw the chain at the last minute, hit the brakes, threw that bike into a side slide, and actually, when we finally stood it up, the chain was right there. Diane's mom and dad were standing over there at the picnic <clears throat> looking at this event, and I know they were wondering, what in the world is that girl doing? getting married to that guy and hope he doesn't kill her sometime or another. I mean, just, just crazy stuff like that. But we got married, and two became one. And we've had, this uh, September, 50 years of marriage. That's amazing. And it is a testimony to her and the Holy Spirit, okay? Um, 50 years, a number of years ago, Mike Nasser, I saw you back there. We used to have dating and relationship. We changed it to relationship. Do you remember the couple that started that uh, one of those, the opening words of a, that seminar, the man got up and he said, marriage is designed by God to help you understand the crucifixion. <laughs> do you remember that? Well, I do. <laughs> because well, I thought, all these young people, you know, when you're thinking of, you know, hearts and roses and all of that stuff, crucifixion, what is that? <clears throat> but uh, the process of two becoming one is a spiritual activity where two people with baggage and humanity come together. And Diane and I have now been married uh, just almost 50 years, and um, it's been absolutely wonderful to see the, the power, the grace of God to work in human beings. Some of the things we've had to work out, the reason I'm talking about these human things is because the whole thing of the victory of Jesus over sin and sickness and disease and hell and the devil and the grave is victory over things, over things. Every family has a language, a mother tongue. <clears throat> Diane's family. I remember once after we had spent some time with your family, I said to Diane, I said, I think I figured your family out. <clears throat> they kind of argue themselves generally in the direction of, the, of a truce. <laughs> That's the way I did. But they never ever got anything resolved. It just argued, and I thought that pretty well characterized it. My family talked a lot but didn't say a lot. Never raised their voices. But we really didn't communicate. Nothing of the deeper issues of life, none of the real issues. So here the two of us had to figure out how to communicate. 
how to talk, how not to talk, how to listen, how to get along, how to handle emotions. Diane and I are very different. <clears throat> she is, Diane can be happy, get mad, and get happy in a space of three minutes. <laughs> which just irritates the fire out of me. <laughs> I do not get mad quickly. Slow. I'm very patient. Slow. Days getting mad. But when I get there, <clears throat> it ain't pretty. And for her, it's all over. And for me, it just started. <laughs> for her, she's done talking. And for me, I'm just getting started with the talk. It just, I hope some of you can laugh knowingly, especially, how many of you are married? <clears throat> right, okay. I hope there can be some knowing and smiling nods of understanding. And why God brought us together is to make out of two, one, formed in the image. But throughout the years, we've had to learn to get over baggage and background and all of those things to become a team. And we have been a team, a twofer, for 50 years. I have been the more public one, a public individual. She's been more the one that gets things done. We're very different in the way we approach things. When we have a project, I make a list, a long list, an organized list. A redone list. While I'm making my list, she's getting the work done. <clears throat> so then we end up looking at my list. I say, how about number one? She says, it's done. I said, oh, good. How about number two? She says, it's already done. I said, that's really good. How about number three? That's done too. And here's what I figured out. If you make good lists, you'll get a lot of work done. <laughs> I think that's... <laughs> <laughs> Diane, Diane is, she's a doer, and we're getting ready to move and all, and she's so far ahead of it, so well organized, she's got it all done. The other night we had supper, unpacked a box to find a fork. <laughs> I said, do we have any salt and pepper? She said, yes, taped up in that box. And so, but uh, she's a doer. <clears throat> I'm a procrastinator. <laughs> it's just, it's, it's funny to think about, but it's also the issues of needing to develop spiritually to win the victory over self and to become a team. So we've served together in the church out in the prairies of Colorado, had a wonderful time out there. This, this is also wonderful. We were just talking the other night. What do you remember? She remembers the horses. She remembers going horseback riding with her dad, leaving Stoneham, Colorado, and riding up through about 10,000 acres of pasture, some 10 or 12 miles north up to the Stoneham, or to uh, uh, Sharon and Clinton Tappy's ranch. And um, wonderful memories of sharing life together. And friends, uh, a couple years ago, we went back to Stoneham, buried Clinton Tappy, he died. Diane and Sharon Tappy are on the phone regularly. We were there. We were there 35 plus eight, over 40 years ago. Roundups, rounded up cattle from a huge government pasture that one of the ranchers had, some 10,000 acres, moved a herd of cattle 10 or 12 miles down to his ranch. The, the thing of it is that in the living of life, we look back and the memories are absolutely wonderful. The battles are always there, that's why I started. Then the victories are victories over some things, not the absence of those things, but we have great memories. We served in missions. We came here in 1982, and over here at the uh, Normandy Hotel, um, got a call from Don Meyer, the dean at that time. He said, Gordon, we want to offer you the position to follow John Phillips. Phillips Hall is named after a wonderful teacher at that time, professor, a philosopher, and I was uh, hired to teach the philosophy classes, overlapped with John Phillips one year. Sitting in that hotel, Diane, <clears throat> We got the call, and I remember she looked at me, and of course, I'm going to make a list of things to think about, pray about, you know, and ponder about, and all of those things, and she just said really prophetically, and she said, you know this is the will of God. Tell him yes. <laughs> we did, 35 years ago. 
and the rest is history. Sharing life together. When we moved here, we moved into the library. In the summer, it was hot, and uh, our two boys were in one, at that time, the second floor of the library was dormitory rooms, and the two boys were in one room, Diane and I were in another. We cooked on an electric skillet in a storeroom on the main floor. Middle of the night, one night, I heard noise in the park, looked out the window, two guys were out there fighting. And the one guy screamed, I'm going to kill you. <clears throat> and I thought, good grief, he's going to do it. So I thought, I'm going to go down there and stop that. Then I thought, no, I'm not going to go down there and stop that. <laughs> so I yelled out the window, hey, stop that. And <clears throat> All right. And the one guy yelled up some rather vulgar instructions to me. <laughs> and about that time, a squad car came up and got those two guys separated. But I thought, what in the world? Now, those of you who are here in 2017, and those of you who were here, how many of you were here in the 80s? Any of you? This neighborhood, we're, we are going to get an award, I just heard this morning, we're going to get an award, and Mike, I'm supposed to ask if you're going to be able to do this with me. It's, uh, no, it's, um, I think, Monday night, May the 8th. The neighborhood is going to give North Central a, a University an award for neighborhood improvement. And uh, so they asked if I could go to that. I looked at the calendar. I can do it. And uh, Mike, so I'll ask you right now. The, no, <clears throat> the soccer field and all of the victories over the years. It has been fabulous, but it has been victories over some things that uh, needed the hand of God and the work of the Spirit and the hard work of the church. It's been a wonderful, wonderful thing. Uh, Diana and I were in missions from 1992 to 1995, and we traveled the length and breadth of Eastern and Western Europe right after communism fell, and we have some of the greatest memories. One year, we drove about 20,000 miles by car in Eastern and Western Europe, just the two of us, finding places to stay, living in dorm rooms. And I would do the teaching piece and work with the faculty, and Diane would do the administrative piece. We would do the set up an office in a dorm room, a little computer, a little portable uh, printer. And that was back in the days of... Um, was it, was it Comcast or whatever? whatever it was. Anyway, when you finally got a signal, you got a sound, and some of the old techies will remember. <laughs> that meant you were connected to the civilization. And I've taken apart, I've taken apart uh, phone jacks in Hungary, Russia, Germany, which are illegal, but everybody was doing it, little alligator clips, so I could get my computer connected so we could do the work of the ministry <laughs> together. It, we have some wonderful memories. <clears throat> we also have maybe one of the darkest nights in the history of our entire ministry together. When in a certain European city, all of the missionary leaders together, and the ministry that we had become a part of blew up entirely in a horrific emotional explosion. The night before that happened, Diane and I saw some things about the issues and whatnot. We spent the entire night up in that city. St. John of the Cross wrote, you know, about the dark night of the soul. <laughs> Those dark nights that are pure hell. And we decided we cannot do this. We cannot do this. That the next day we would talk with the missionary leaders and tell them, we can't do this. We'll go to one country and work with one sane missionary, but we're not going to work with the rest of this crowd. I mean, it was awful. Let me tell you something. <clears throat> I never believed in the demon possession of Christians until I got involved in missions. Now, we have this romantic idea about, you know, the perfection of missions. Let me tell you, salt water doesn't sanctify anything. People are people all around the world. And when that, then the next morning before we had an opportunity to talk to the leaders, a three-hour meeting, that was the nearest thing to an insane asylum I've ever experienced. It was awful. The whole thing blew up in disarray. And yet, we had a Bible conference to put on in Budapest, Hungary, just a few months later. That couldn't be canceled, so we went with another missionary couple to another city, 
and worked like crazy and put on a Bible conference in Budapest, Hungary. The entire thing was in disarray. I mean, the hurt feelings, I mean, every possible bad and negative thing you could imagine. And then after a few months, they asked if I would serve as the director of that ministry. And in the plan of God, we said yes, we served, we worked, we traveled, we went to schools, we met some of the most wonderful people you'll ever want to meet, but there were also, of course, obstacles. We had a second Bible school conference in Budapest that was a great, great victory, 127 delegates from about 25 European countries, and accomplished what had never, ever been accomplished there before, and that was a unity. Listen, Europe doesn't exist. It's a whole bunch of individual countries with individual cultures and individual ways of doing things. And to get the church and all of those people to work together had never been accomplished. But God worked through some really wonderful people. And uh, oh, the memories we have, remember the conference on that hillside in Budapest where God brought together and something that they never thought they would ever see. What was it? It's victory in Jesus and God working. So our memories there are absolutely wonderful. I'll tell you a story about an apostle, Rudolf Bubik. I'm so moved when I think of it. There in Kolin, the Bible school east of Prague. Bubik was a coal miner. He and his wife really were the leaders, uh, while being coal miners, of the church in the Czech Republic. They were in prison. He was a publisher. Bible school director, president of the Pentecostal Union, coal miner and farmer, <laughs> Rudolf Bubik. And we sat one night in that Bible school with uh, Milan Bubon and his wife. And Bubik speaks no English. I speak no Czech. And there we were at dinner, and Milan is interpreting. They talked about so many things, but at one point, Bubik looked at me and he said, I once asked God what we Czech people did wrong, that we should have to suffer as we have suffered under the hand of this terrible communist regime. And God said to me, you people did not do anything wrong, but I needed to find a people through whom I could demonstrate that the power of the kingdom of God is greater than the power of this wicked regime, and I chose you to be that witness. I will never forget that moment. It marked our lives. Here we are, Americans, with freedom of religion. And out of, of course, all of the lessons of our lives come maxims and things, but really out of that one comes one of the maxims of my life, and that is no whining allowed. No whining allowed. And we've been marked by these great experiences that we've shared together. Well, I've got about five other lessons and five other stories to tell, but we are out of time. So <clears throat> I'm going to take you to the end of the message. And this is really re remarkable, this book of Anderson-isms. And uh, I flipped through it, and I recognized, of course, <laughs> but in my list of maxims, what I did, I put together, there are 23. So I want to go through those, and here's what we're going to do. We're going to put them on the screen. But we're also going to email them to every one of you, all right? So you can look at them, and you can have this list of maxims to live life by. And uh, Bridget, where are you? You're here. <clears throat> Bridget, nicely, executive administrator for the president's office. She is fabulous, and she knows how I work. I, I actually prepare the notes for any Friday message Friday, uh, Thursday night, and I, last minute, not that the preparation, but the notes, last minute. So actually, I wrapped this thing up about 1.30 this morning, <laughs> because when I get into it, and it's quiet, and you know, and so I wrapped it all up, and I shot off an email, <clears throat> I said, well, let's do a slide, and then this morning, about 10 o'clock, I said, let's put all those maxims on a PowerPoint, and let's show them to everybody, and can we give an email? About 15 minutes later, she said, done. So, Bridget, thank you, <clears throat> and thanks to people like you, you know. <clears throat> so, uh, 
Now, we have guests on campus, and if I'm running a little long and you have an event and you need to leave, uh, I don't want to hold you here because we know that you're here to register and be welcomed into the family. But if you want to stay, you can, but I want you to not feel trapped. But uh, we'll go through 23 maxims in about 23 seconds. These, um, <clears throat> these are lessons of life to live by. Number one, don't take yourself too seriously. The number of people who come to your funeral will be determined largely by the weather. <laughs> you may as well laugh at yourself. Everybody else is. <clears throat> I think of Samuel Johnson, but the prospects of hanging wonderfully concentrate the mind. <clears throat> During very difficult times, you will be amazed how serious you can get and how well your mind and spirit can work when things are really, really serious. From Aeschylus, Agamemnon, an amazing quote, he who learns must suffer. This quote is on the tomb of uh, Bobby Kennedy, former Attorney General of the United States, who was assassinated. But when pain falls drop by drop on the brow, and we cannot sleep, then through the awful grace of God do we gain wisdom. He who learns must suffer. Another one I really like, uh, attributed both to Isaac Berlin, Isaiah Berlin and Immanuel Kant. But out of the crooked timber of humanity, nothing straight was ever made. And that's a good leadership lesson when you're working and you you think you got it all right, you find out it's still somewhat crooked. We are imperfect people and always with a somewhat imperfect product. Elizabeth Wheeler Wilcox, a poem I love, but one line out of it, it's not the gales but the set of the sails that tells where the bark will go. It's not the way the wind is blowing or how hard it's blowing, it's how you set your sail and how you handle the tiller. And through the worst of the winds, you can make progress. It's a great poem. One ship sailed east, the other west, by the selfsame winds that blow. Set your sails well and handle the tiller well. It's never what's around you that matters. It's always what's in you that matters. Opinions are roar shocks. <clears throat> Do you know Rorschach ink blot tests? This one is tied to the next one. When someone lectures you about a situation, you will usually learn more about that person than the situation. <laughs> <laughs> no, and in leadership, it's just good to keep these things in mind. <clears throat> the opposite of a leader is not a follower. The opposite of a leader is a pessimist. You have to believe that things can get better. In the worst of times, you have to believe and God helps us believe. God is a God of change and healing, deliverance. God is a great, powerful God. Control your choices, and you will control your consequences. You can control your choices, but you cannot control their consequences. No whining allowed. Blaming is laming. This is a good one. <clears throat> People who blame end up weak and frail, and they limp through life. Rather than blaming others, they look difficulty square in the face and say, one way or another, with God's help, we're going to make this thing better. People are not against you. They're just for themselves. Size of a man is the size of those things it takes to upset him. That's a really good one. Take measure of the things you get upset about. See how big they are. And then pray the next prayer. Uh, I've got a prayer down here, number 17. Father, forgive me for being small. Jim and Fran Allen were here, and the Allen Tower here is named after them. And they had a saying that was just great. Don't let small people make you small. Another one, let time be your friend. Some, sometimes yeah, just a bit of time will heal things that you think cannot be repaired. Time heals all wounds. It also wounds all heals. You don't have to fix everything immediately. Time will fix some things, and God will work 
in those things on your behalf. Leave the ripples alone. You only make things worse when you try to pat them down. You know, you throw a rock in a pond and there's ripples. You think we need, so the more you pat them, the worse they get. Sometimes the best thing is back away and let things subside. It's not you, it's the uniform. And in a few weeks, I'm going to take off my uniform. And um, our identity is not wrapped up in a position. Our identity is wrapped up in Jesus, the Holy Spirit, a marriage, and a future where we're going to go brand some cattle and do some other things. It's, uh, <clears throat> it's not you. It's not me. It's the authority God places in us when he puts us in situations and gives us responsibility. I love this one. The kingdom of heaven was designed to work at Rome. That's wonderful. God didn't say, I can hardly wait till they start America so that I can finally build a church. He started that church in Rome, in Corinth. He started it in the middle of horrible, ugly, wicked paganism. He started it without one single Christian mom or dad. No one could say, I'm in the church because of a praying mother. All those mothers were pagans. All of those fathers were pagans. And the kingdom of God is designed to work at Rome. Never forget it. And maybe my favorite... Everybody's entitled to an opinion, but nobody's entitled to an attitude. <laughs> it's good to have opinions. I appreciate people with well-thought-through opinions, argued ardently. Even when I disagree, I value that. That's part of the problem-solving process. But you add a bad attitude to your opinions, and you'll never go anywhere. You must have your opinions. You must never develop an attitude. That's good, isn't it? So we finish up at 12.04, and uh, they said that I could take a bit more time, which I did. And so this is the last message that I'll be delivering in this setting. But um, God has been good. Diane and I have had a wonderful time. We appreciate all of you. You've been good to us. And we've worked together and shared a great life for these 35 years, and we have a future to do some other things being really good Christians when we're not getting paid to do it. <clears throat> That's one of our goals, and making a difference with the people very close and around us where we will be moving. So thank you from the bottom of our hearts. We do thank you, and Doug, I think I'm to give it back to you. Thank you. <clears throat>